You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Monday, December 27th as we get ready for the Hokies' first ever appearance in the Pinstripe Bowl. We'll also look at some of the new coaching and players news, as well as look back at the St. Bonaventure and Duke games for the Hoops team. All of that and much more coming up on episode 217 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. welcome you in whether you are listening on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or watching live or archived on the YouTube. We ask you to like, comment, and subscribe if you are on YouTube. And if you're watching live, make sure to drop a comment or question in the chat for Will and Chris, and we'll get to them with Nick at the end of the show. As always, the Tech Sideline podcast is brought to you by the Regional Training Center. You can help bring Olympic hopeful athletes to Blacksburg in one of the best and fastest growing programs in the country. Go to southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. Surely missing the best podcast producer in the land today, mm -hmm. Jake Lyman, as he is back home for winter break, but the rest of the crew is the same for a Monday episode. Will Stewart, founder and general manager of Tech Sideline across the way. Chris Coleman, <laughs> to my right, lead analyst and columnist. Behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land. And in the fourth chair today is Nick Brown. He will have his segment in the middle of the show and get to your YouTube questions at the end. And I am your podcast host for today, Katie Adams. A loaded episode today, that's for sure, but we are coming off of a holiday weekend. I'm totally sober. I'm not loaded. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you called Jake the... Uh, oh, no. Did I say I that he was... I think you called him the producer. Oh, no. Okay. The podcast right. host. We miss him, of course. Oh, and, and like type this into your script right now. It's actually the Southeast Regional Training Center, not just the Regional Training Center. All right. <laughs> We're off to a great start today, obviously. We have not been in the studio for a while, and that is why I'm not the normal podcast host, but... We are coming off of a holiday weekend and that transitional week between Christmas and New Year. So just wanted to check in with you all and ask how your Christmases were. Oh, mine was normal. It was good. <laughs> didn't go anywhere. Uh, your your, fam your uh, parents were, were here, right? So you didn't kid. have to go all the way to Chatham or whatever? Nope. Mine was good. It's pretty awesome having older kids because when they're little, they come running down the stairs and they just tear into everything. But now that they're... They're physically grown up. I won't call them adults yet, but they're physically <laughs> grown up. We actually like sit around in a circle and do the uh, presents one by one. And yep. it's kind of cool. It's I really slept nice. at 10 o'clock on Christmas Day. We slept great. pretty late too. <laughs> really? Wish, like Malcolm, how late did we sleep? 11. Wow, nice. Wow. Yeah, it's 8 a.m. wake up call in my house oh. and I'm running down the stairs <laughs> like a little kid. <laughs> no, at one point this weekend, I calculated out of a 33-hour stretch, I had slept 18 of them. It was awesome. Oh, my goodness. That's yeah. impressive. All right, well, let's get in. Well, what about yours? How was yours? It was wonderful. I had a great time with my family here in Blacksburg. Grandparents came up Christmas Day for a nice Christmas lunch they just left this morning. So it was great 
family time, good gifts, all that good stuff. Um, but let's start with coaching updates. A couple more moving pieces since we last addressed it on the podcast. I want to look at the grand scheme of things, starting with the defensive side of the ball, because that side seems to be completed. You got Chris Marv at defensive coordinator, previous linebackers coach at Florida State. Derek Jones looks like he'll be coaching cornerbacks, previous associate head coach, co-defensive coordinator, and secondary coach at Texas Tech. Sean Quinn coaching Sam and Nickel linebackers, previous head coach at Savannah State. J.C. Price obviously was going to be retained, um, still coaching the defensive line. And then finally, on December 21st, Pearson Prelu was promoted from director of player development with the defense to safeties coach, fitting for a guy who played a large role in establishing Virginia Tech football to be a powerhouse in the 1990s. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's kind of weird. I have a few more questions about the defensive coaching staff than I do the offensive staff, even, even though the offensive really? staff isn't technically complete. You mean as what people's roles are going to be or what? No, it's just uh, there seems to be more – oh, I don't I don't know. I, I'll put it this way, like – there's less. There's no proven coordinator. Like Chris Marv's never been a coordinator oh, yeah. before. Yep. Right. Um, Pearson Prelo's never coached before. Right. Uh, Sean Quinn was the Savannah State head coach. Um, now, obviously, Pry's going to spend a lot of time with, with the defense. Yeah, and you've got Jones, who's got co-defensive coordinator. Derek Jones, yeah, is he's fine. Coordinator. I, I, I'm good with that. I'm good with J.C. Price, and I'm not saying I'm not good with those other guys. I just think right. it's uh, more question marks on that side of the ball as far as individual roles go. The, uh, the Sean Quinn role is interesting. You know, he's going to be coaching uh, the Sam linebackers and the Nickelbacks. Now, only one of those guys is on the field at a time. You know, this isn't like the old Jim Cavanaugh whips and rovers type thing where both guys were on the field. Um, so, so if you got the Sam the, linebacker comes off the field when a nickelback comes off. So he's like he's like there's two middle linebackers and the Sam is kind of the outside linebacker. Yeah, I guess is, is the way to describe. Yeah, it. And yeah. he comes off and they bring the nickel in on. Yeah, I, I think that's the way it is. Uh, or they, or maybe they bring the mic off. Uh, um, I, I'm not sure, um, but I don't know. I, I, it's, it seems to me like there's more question marks on defense, yet at the same time, Brent Pry is going to be over there. Yeah. So I'm not worried about it. So I just questioned a few things, but I'm really not worried about any of them because uh, that's Pry's area of expertise. So, right. and, and I'll trust him there until otherwise. Uh, the offensive staff, I think, is really coming together nicely. Um, no complaints there. I just don't know who the wide receivers coach is going to be. So, so back to the defensive staff and the hiring of Pearson Prelo. The, some fans are asking, why are we hiring a guy who doesn't have any actual college coaching experience? Um, I think, and maybe you remember this better than I do, at one point Prelo was considered mm-hmm. for a position on, on uh, Justin Fuente's staff. Correct. And the word is – Amongst us locals that uh, at that point in time, it, with the age of his family at that point in time, he had kids who were in, in school. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Nick, 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 now you yes, went sir. to Radford High School. Yeah. PJ. He is now. He, he is now team. at Tech. He is a red shirt. Uh, preferred walk on. Yes. Yeah. What, what other kids do they have in the family? How old are they relative They've got to PJ? Two more sons. Okay. Parker and Pray, uh, Pace. Parker had a pretty good season. He's short, undersized. Uh, right. so I don't think he'll. Uh, yeah, he's very fast, uh, but not yeah, much. they're and all very Pace, fast. Pace is. I think he's. I want to say seventh grade, but okay. Parker will be a rising senior, starting point guard for the basketball team. So he still has kids like in middle school and high school, but yeah. not as young as they were as little as three or four yeah, years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, as a sidebar, I've always found Pearson Prelo really interesting because 
I've been in the same room with him. And if you walked up to me, if I didn't know who he was, and you walked up and said, that guy played in the NFL for 12 years, I'd say, you're kidding me. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just, he's a tremendous athlete. Mm-hmm. But he, he is not a guy that you would think that's a professional athlete when you see him. But when he's on the field, he's, he and his kids are, are all uh, really good athletes. But anyway, he had younger children at the time. And the word is that his wife said, I don't really want you being a full-time coach and traveling around for all the recruiting and stuff like that. And he paid 12 years in the NFL. It's not like he needed the money. He didn't need the money, yeah. uh, for sure. Well, that was just two years ago. Was it? That was when uh, Virginia Tech uh, hired Ryan Smith. Yeah. I believe. Okay. Is, so, uh, you know, I don't know what's changed since then. I mean, I know the oldest is out of the house, but – it, it can, it can. Two years can make a big difference. It can make a big yeah. difference, and uh, you know he has spent time uh, recruiting now. You know, whenever there's coaching tra- uh, changes, and uh, if you need an extra coach because somebody's left, you can name one of your analysts, one of your assistants to a temporary position, and they can actually do recruiting. So he does have recruiting experience now. Um, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm sure he'll do fine. Um, are we just talking about the defensive staff now? Or are we? Are we ready to transition to the offensive we staff? We can transition host? into the offense. Because I'm extremely excited about the offensive staff. I, I, just, I, I, I see a lot of guys who have either are or have been offensive coordinators ever on the offensive side. Uh, yeah, uh, either even if it's just co-coordinators or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the type of hires Brent Prize made offensively signifies his intent for Virginia Tech to return to power football. Uh, if you look at Tyler Bowen, and his stints as a play caller in the past has been 58% run, 42% pass. Obviously, some of this is dictated by personnel. But if you're going to hire Joe Rudolph away from Wisconsin, which sounds like it's going to happen, it's not official yet, but it sounds like it's going to happen, obviously that expresses your desire to have a strong running game when you hire somebody like that. You hire Stu Holt as your running backs coach. When he was at Appalachian State, as, as their running backs coach, he had five 1,000-yard rushers in just four years. So I was going to crack a joke all at the same time. Uh, right. <laughs> no. Uh, no um, but that's pretty good. You know, and, I, and I was in, when I was in the gym the other day, the Georgia State bowl game was on, and I was watching their offense, and they were just moving up and down the field. Um, and, and, Br- and Brad Glenn will and be – And Brad, Brad Glenn will, is going to be the quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator. Has been their offensive coordinator. And QB coach, and, and you watched. And, and, and if everybody remembers when Appalachian State beat Michigan way back in the day, back yeah. in 2007, uh, he was uh, the quarterback's coach at Appalachian State then, so that quarterback for App State. Armani. Armani Edwards. Yeah. Yeah, who went to the NFL for a little bit as like a wide receiver, I believe. Uh, anyway – Glenn was his quarterback's coach in, in college. Uh, we don't know who the wide receiver coach is going to be, but overall I'm very excited about this offensive staff. And, you know, I think Virginia Tech is – they're going to be a balanced offense, but they're going to lean towards the run. It's going to be a Big Ten style of play, which I think is the best style for Virginia Tech. So to sum it up, you've got offense coordinator and tight ends coach Tyler Bowen, who is rumored slash reported but not official. Quarterback, passing game coordinator, Brad Glenn, who is official. Uh, running back, and I've got ST special teams. Yep. Stu Holt. Um, and rumored, heavily rumored, offensive line, running game coordinator, Joe Rudolph, out of out of Wisconsin. And then, of course, you just said no wide receiver coach. Um, another thing I like is looking at all of these guys, and unfortunately, maybe you've got this in your head because I don't have it written down here. But Tyler Bowen, before being the – he's currently Jacksonville Jaguars tight end coach. He was the Penn State tight ends coach. 
offensive recruiting coordinator and co-offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these guys have they're they have a lot of experience in 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 the areas of recruiting. Some of them are stud recruiters. Some of them are recruiting coordinators. You have that stuff in the top of your head because I don't. No. Okay. All right. well, <laughs> you, you printed out all the information for us, and you didn't include it. So. Yeah, but you remember stuff better than I do, and, and you write the article, so I thought you might have it. So, um, so a couple of support staff guys. Did you want to talk about those too, Katie? Yeah, absolutely. So we've touched on some of the offensive staff. Um, nothing from the wide receiver room. Hopefully there's some development to come there. But the most recent hire came yesterday when Mike Villagrana from Marshall was officially announced as the senior director of player personnel. He spent some time at Penn State and Mississippi State, but – this is surely a great hire for recruiting. Seems that way. Yeah, he was. He was the. He's the most recently been the Marshall GM, and I think it's him I was thinking about. At Mississippi State, he was director of recruiting, and at Penn State, he was a recruiting coordinator. I don't know the difference. It sounds like different job titles for the same title. thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's very cool. And then you've got Dwight Galt the fourth was announced. What about a week ago? Mm-hmm. And he uh, he comes from Old Dominion Strength and Conditioning and Penn State Strength and Conditioning. So. Yeah, Chris, I know you have some thoughts on this one. I I was going to say, let it run. Before he was at Penn State, he was actually at South Carolina under a strength coach who was now the strength coach for the New York Giants. Before that, with, I believe, the Houston Texans. And obviously, he worked under his dad at Penn State for a long, long time. So he's worked under some excellent strength coaches. Um, So on paper, this is a very good hire. I I like his dad's tiered approach to strength Mm -hmm. and conditioning. You've got tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one are your young players, generally, your freshmen, who they just need to add strength. That is their entire focus. Is it's just add it's just getting strong enough to actually be able to play college football. So everybody who red shirts, which you know almost everyone should clearly do, uh, they're in tier one. And quite frankly, I think there are some older players from Tech's program this past year that would have been in tier one their entire careers. <laughs> and I'm dead serious on that. Um, now, Katie, are you familiar with the whole always be red shirting theme of the show? I know Chris oh, loves it. I don't really it's, know it's, the significance behind it. It's, it's huge. Everyone <laughs> do it. but, it's uh, like a drinking game. Um, if when Chris first mentions red shirting, you have to drink, and then all right, maybe yeah. we can do that tally like we talked about the Hunter Couture charge every ding, time. Ding, every ding. time a charge happens, we make a tally. Every time red shirting is mentioned, we make a tally. So, tier two is um, is your normal average college football players most guys are in tier two tier three are guys that are elite strength athletes and they don't necessarily need to add any more strength but maybe they could use some focus on other areas of their game like maybe their quickness or their explosiveness or things like that so tier three would be guys who have a more specialized focus because they're so advanced so guys like Wyatt Teller Divine Diablo you know, those guys would be tier three strength athletes. So I like that type of focus. Uh, I assume Galt the fourth would implement a similar type of program. Yeah. So, so a couple of things that reminds me of the old Excalibur level athlete that uh, Mike Gentry used to have. Those were his best guys. Mm-hmm. And I think I read that uh, Penn State currently has nine guys at that tier three level. I don't. And, and the well, program goal is to have twenty. Well, think, the, now, the, but the article I linked was from twenty sixteen. Okay. So I have no idea. That was early in that tenure, so I, I don't know okay. how many. But, yeah, it takes t- it takes time. Now, the thing about strength and conditioning is it takes time. Like, you're not going to roll out there after one offseason and start knocking people around. Yeah. I mean, it takes several years to build up a strength – to build people up in the strength and conditioning program. So it's not going to be an overnight process, although I do think we'll see progress. 
right. Well, with the transition into the new staff, only two guys were retained from Fuente's staff, Price and Prelude. We'll obviously see through the offseason where a lot of the previous Hokies coaches will land at other jobs and other gigs, but there's one name that we know already has a new job, and it's Ryan Smith, who was announced as the cornerbacks coach at Northwestern, which definitely comes to uh, comes as a surprise to many. I think Ryan Smith held out for too long. I think uh, he had multiple offers he was mulling over and just – Sat around and thought about it for too long. Mulled a little up, bit too long. Yeah, mulled a little bit too long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could have stayed at Virginia Tech, but I think he had a deadline date. At some point, you know, you've got to hire somebody, right? right? And I, I'm sure Pry gave him a date and he just hadn't reached a decision by that date. Um, although, I don't know, you'd have to ask Ryan Smith. But, uh, you know, I heard there was definite interest from, obviously, Virginia Tech, but, you know, the SEC as well. Uh, so, I, I don't know what happened there. Um, that's being said, it's a Big Ten job. Um, he'll make plenty of money. I'm sure the money's good. Sure. Yep. Yeah, and Northwestern's facilities are just... Oh, I mean, they have a beachfront resort with lifeguard. Like, literally, it's right on Lake... uh like Michigan. You ever seen their indoor facility that they built like a couple years ago? I have it. Ago? Now I want to look it's, it up. It's, 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 it's a building for their entire athletic department. It sits right on... It's like their Merriman Center, except okay. 20 times as big. It's and, like a and it's 150 or $200 million building, something crazy. $250 million. Yeah. Yeah. Oh it sits right on Lake Michigan. There's a beach, like like the mock-ups and everything. Like There's lifeguard ch- stations out there. Now, granted, it's Chicago. You can only use that beach two months out of the year, probably. Mm-hmm. You mispronounce weeks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, and that, that's Northwestern. So, they got – it's interesting because, like, he doesn't – he's not going to have a specific recruiting – territory you know being from virginia and recruiting in this this region his entire career but he'll be back in this region at some point probably sooner rather than later right so he's already a good recruiter and having that facility in that beach probably is going to help with his recruiting abilities as well yeah but northwestern tend to get dinged by the high academic requirements yeah, going okay. it's yeah. tough are they a private school yes yeah okay. very big 10 liberal yeah school. they're like the big 10 version of like duke or, Van- or vanderbilt or wake forest Basically, and they're generally regarded as one of the top uh, journalism schools in the country. Right? Yeah, I believe that's yes, right. yeah. my yeah. cousin just graduated from there. Really, and Ashton Pollard now she's working for On Three Sports. Yes. Um, so looking ahead, it's the season finale for Virginia Tech football. They take on Maryland in the Pinstripe Bowl on Wednesday at two fifteen. It's their debut in this bowl game, but it's also kind of the debut of a completely new team because this depth chart <laughs> looks a whole lot different than it did at the beginning of the season. Let's talk about the Virginia Tech offense and this Maryland defense. To start, I'm curious how the Maryland defense is going to break down quarterback film because they don't have a lot of it. Will your guy, Connor Blumrick, set to have his first ever collegiate start after the departure of Braxton Burmeister, which came also as a surprise to many? Well, I'm very excited because I'm pretty sure he still has the awesome hair, but he now has grown the mustache out even further. He's a regular-looking 22-year-old Aaron Rodgers now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so uh, looking forward to that. I wrote in our game preview, which, which we've already run, so... Go and check out Tech Sideline for the uh, Pinstripe Bowl game preview. And as always, vote in our poll. We put polls in them where you can pick whether or not you think Tech is going to win or lose or the opponent's going to win or lose and by how many points. And I wrote in there that uh, it's uh, – so to, to, to explain my DNA a little bit, um, bowl games used to be an enormous deal. Uh, you know, to go to a bowl was a big deal. In my senior year, Virginia Tech went to the Peach Bowl and won it. It was a phenomenal game. It was the first bowl game Tech had actually ever won. 
And we all went bananas and freaked out. And then Tech didn't go to a bowl again until 1993, and it was the Independence Bowl. And we all piled in our cars and drove how many hours that was down to Shreveport. So it used to be, bowl games used to be this big, huge deal. And from the time, I was a senior when they played in the Peach Bowl. And from that time on, the games always mattered to me. They were always statement games. And of course, back, I've said this before, back in 1993, when they went to the Independence Bowl, there were only 19 bowl games. So only 38 teams got to go. So it was a big deal. And everybody was nine and two or eight and three or better. At they worst, were you were seven and four. They were all yeah. good teams. And occasionally some seven and four teams would make it. Yeah, if, if you'd played a tough schedule, you know. And So and, there were, in 1993 when Tech made the Independence Bowl, there were only 19 bowls. So only 38 teams made bowls. Yeah, yeah. Over 80 teams make bowls now. Right. And now you uh, look uh, at Rutgers. Uh, right, ex- exactly. So it's like... Imagine the the NCAA tournament for basketball is special because only 64, 68 teams make it. Out of 350. Out of 350 or 360, whatever it is. So that's a small percentage. Yeah. But and, and that's what college football used to be. You know, it used to be 120 teams or so, and a third of them made bowl games, or, mm-hmm. or, 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 what, or, or a little less than a third made bowl games. Now over half of them make bowl games, and that just dilutes the whole thing. Right, and, so it makes it not special. So that's all leading up to uh, as I was as I was doing our preview, I was like, I, I know this sounds blasphemous, but I, I don't really care if Tech wins or loses. Just from this standpoint, I want to see the players win, and I want them to have a good time. But it's no longer a statement about the program. And to to take that one step further, I, um. To me, with, with the advent of all of these conferences with two divisions, the, the, the goal used to be win enough games and go to a bowl. Well, now it's win enough games to go to your conference championship game and try to win your conference. And because of the playoff coming along, the bowls are just becoming less and less important, and there are so many of them. So all this rambling is that I'm actually going to kind of enjoy watching the game and getting to see different guys do different things, getting to see Blumrick play a whole game you know if he lasts that long we hope he lasts that long you know and he's sure going to be running it a lot and jc price has indicated taj bullock playing isn't necessarily a guaranteed thing i hope not yeah yeah see see so i'm going to ask you why you say that but i but i think i think (laughs) i already know i think you're worried that if they play bullock that and and it goes poorly that it will impact his confidence no i would like i'd like to win the football game Really? Uh, yeah. Well, what, uh, do you think I want to lose it? You, only, you got two options, winning or losing. I'd prefer to win it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll put Look, it this I, way. I, I, if they right, lose, you, I won't think it's a big deal. I, I know what win, you meant. I think it's cool. What you meant to say earlier was <laughs> it doesn't matter whether Tech wins or loses. It's not, not sta- that you don't care. It's not a statement right. about the program. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. We have a fresh so start anyway. I'll go ahead and read my entire okay. quote from not Mike Nye's Alex article that I'd printed out. I was going to use this for when I make my preview, but – uh This is talking about the entire passing game, but Bullock is mentioned. Virginia Tech's offense wasn't very efficient throwing the ball in seven-on-seven drills on Sunday with expected starter Connor Blumrick and backup Todd Bullock rotating series. The whistle was blown three times between the two of them for holding on to the ball too long. Bullock, a true freshman out of St. Peter's Prep, didn't have a completion of more than five yards during the session. He was playing against the second-team secondary with mostly walk-ons at wide receiver. Okay, so, like... We have walk-ons in the two-deep at wide receiver. And what do we ex- actually expect if you put Taj Bullock into this football game? 
Do you expect any that kind of run the football a lot? Let me explain. Quincy to, Patterson. I, I want to explain <laughs> to everybody where Todd Bullock is coming from here. All right, he's a guy whose first two years of high school, he was behind the quarterback who signed with Navy. He was behind another uh, an FBS quarterback in high school. So he didn't start till his junior year. His junior year, he had a great year. But then he got no development time going into his senior year because COVID hit and everything got shut down. Then they finally played in New Jersey an abbreviated season this past spring with hardly any preseason, and they only played six games. So this guy, this is a guy who started like 16 or 17 games, 18 maybe, in high school. And one of his critical development off seasons was wrecked because of COVID. This guy is way behind you know, most true freshmen because of that. He is not ready. And, like, I don't know why people expect him to be. Like, Michael Vick had to redshirt. Michael Vick wanted to switch to quarterback, his, or excuse switch me, to switch to wide receiver when he was redshirting because he couldn't pick up the offense. And that was a Ricky Buckle, Bustle offense, which wasn't exactly a complicated offense. So, look, the light comes Button on. Button hooks and down and outs and bombs. Right. Um, so, like, the light comes on in different times for, for different people. And I think Todd Bullock has the ability, but – it was tough for him over the last year to develop because he didn't have a chance to develop. Um, you, you know, somebody was uh, saying on the boards the other day, well, he, they should still be able to design a, a good offense around him because I watched in a bowl game the other night, another true freshman came in and had a great, and had a great game. And so I looked this other true freshman up and he was a true freshman last year in 2020 so one of the COVID true freshmen, right? Which means right, he's... basically a uh, basically a redshirt freshman at this point, and had a full senior season, and his development wasn't impacted by COVID very right. much. Um, so Bullock is it's just it's just not uh, putting a true freshman out there who only started eighteen high school games and missed an entire year of development with a bunch of walk on receivers. Like, what do you really <laughs> expect to happen? <laughs> With, but, with a coaching staff that is getting fired because they couldn't coach the actual experienced players. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> well, right, I was but, gonna... but, so, so I, Sorry so, if I killed your enthusiasm the, no, for the game. This is but, totally but, but, this is, I, I know this is coming out strange, but this is all on defensive book right. because I don't want people to put, have any expectations for him if he goes into this football. But last fall, we had a really cool picture of him that we tweeted out from fall camp. So he's got to be a good quarterback because he took a really cool picture. So did Quincy Patch. <laughs> he took a lot of really cool pictures. Well, I was going to ask about you all's opinions on the Taj Bullock situation and if he gets into this game. So I think we answered that pretty well. Covered it. <laughs> yes, check. Um, but to analyze the quarterback situation a little more, I want to circle back to the departure of Braxton Burmeister. What was your initial thoughts when you saw that he was entering the transfer portal? Not surprised. Um, I, I, think he, I think he knows that Virginia Tech – whether he was coming back or not, was going to go out and try to get a, uh, someone to start in the transport field. Yeah. And, uh, but even if even even with that, like even if they didn't do that, like who in the world is he going to throw the ball to next year? Like, like, there's a lot of unknowns on that. offense. There's a lot of unknowns. Coaching staff, and, wide receivers, offensive linemen. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, I I just. I, I don't know that like Braxton has like really enjoyed his time here from from certain perspectives, um, and this is probably subconscious and for some of these guys hit, hitting the portal. But think about the last two years if you're a Virginia Tech football player, and half of this is true for all football players, but only half of it. So all of last year, you know, you spend the entire season 
and off season, you know, getting something shoved up your nose three times a week. That's not any, any fun. And then you finally clear that and you spend this entire season hearing that your coach is going to get fired. And then he finally does get fired. And so, like, it hasn't been fun to be a Virginia Tech football player for the last two years. And then and, your, your uh, top two wide receivers, Trey Turner's right, out, right. Tavion so, Robinson's so already I, transferred. Right, and I think that's just subconscious for some of these guys. It's like they have not enjoyed their Virginia Tech experience the last two years as far as being football players go. So they just want, they just want to leave. I'm over here laughing, covering the team I haven't enjoyed the last two years either. <laughs> it's been pretty difficult. Yeah. And all I do is cover them. Right. Mm-hmm. There was a quote on Twitter that came from Braxton Burmeister, and this is not specifically. This is just what from I from what I remember seeing. He said his reason for entering the transfer portal was something like, "I saw a lot of other quarterbacks entering the portal, and I started to mm-hmm. feel the pressure." Do you think that was kind of a segue to not say, "Oh, they were going to replace me"? Uh I don't know. Uh, I do think. I mean, Braxton is a pretty deep thinking dude. That that's what I took away from when I sat down and talked to him for probably forty five minutes or an hour at the. ACC media event last summer. So I do think it's it's legit. I mean, you see everybody else in the portal. If you wait until January to enter, then, you know, that game of musical chairs is going to stop and you're not going to have a seat. No. Um, so I don't really blame him from, from that standpoint. I wish Tech would just let him play in this bowl. Um, like wonder... Emory Jones. Right, right. <laughs> oh, I mean, he. if it's true that he actually asked to play, oh, my God. A football player actually asking to play in a in a meaningless bowl game yeah. right. that seems a surprise. I would have let him play. So, by the way, let's let's take a take a quick trip down a side path and give some props to the guys who are op- opting out from the standpoint that they're that they're going to leave, leave early and go pro, but who are still playing. Correct. Brock Hoffman, mm-hmm. Raheem Blackshear, Tanuta, Tanuta. Um, Burmeister. It's Tried rumored to. that he wanted to. Yeah. Um, so those are guys that. Are still playing even though they're not going to be here next year, and that's very cool. All the other other guys get a lot of attention, and um, I was busy with some stuff and wasn't really paying attention. And I was grouping the NFL entries and the transfer portal guys and the opt outs as all not being available. So when I finally turned my attention to everything, I was like, "Oh, Blackshear's still going to be yeah. there. Oh, oh Tanuta's still going to be there. Hoffman's mm-hmm. still going to be there." You what know? a great opportunity. For, for those guys, actually, especially Blackshear, because, I mean, we just spent a while talking about Tech's quarterback situation and their wide receiver situation. We can get into the wide receiver situation yeah, a little bit I later. A question yeah. on that. Blackshear knows he's going to get the ball a lot in this game, or at least he should. So he's got one more opportunity. He to, should. To, 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 <laughs> should have gotten it in the Miami should game, Should have gotten too. it in the Miami yes. game, too. But uh, <laughs> at any rate, he should have a lot of carries in this game because Virginia Tech is hardly going to throw the ball at all. Yeah. Well, like you mentioned, Virginia Tech is hardly going to throw the ball at all. I wanted to harp on that wide receiver situation. Looking at the receivers with the absence of Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson, it looks like Caleb Smith was going to play an integral role in this game. And now we hear reports that he's in a boot and we hear reports that Dwayne Lofton did not practice. So how much does this concern you and where does your confidence lie in guys like Jalen Jones and Shanka Hodge? I I think the world of Jalen Jones is a prospect. But as a true freshman, if those other two guys you just mentioned don't play, then Jalen Jones is going to be the number one receiver in this game. He has one career catch. And it was a hell of a catch. It was a hell of a catch. <laughs> it was a hell of a throw, everything. But And, I, and I, I think he's a very good prospect. But a true freshman with one career catch and a quarterback who completes 43% of his passes, I think it's safe to say Virginia Tech is going to be 
running the football a lot in this yeah. game. And I don't one dimensional. Yeah, and, and as they like reported that Blackshear's actually been practicing some in the slot. Which yeah. Is he practicing punt return too? Yeah, he's on the he's a, he's a, there's three guys on the punt return depth chart It's all listed or. So Blackshear, Malachi Thomas, and I forget somebody else yeah, I can't think of right else. now. Um Changa Hodge. See, doesn't this sound like fun? I'm Ch- telling you, Ch- this oh is gonna goodness. be kind of fun. Ch- Chang- Changa Hodge I mean, the guy came back in the middle of the season from a torn ACL. He yeah. tore that ACL in like March or April. Yeah. So I appreciate his dedication and his willingness to come back in the middle of the season because he didn't have to. I mean, or you could argue that he shouldn't have from a health standpoint. Um, but do I have confidence that he's going to go out there and be productive uh, without, you know, when he didn't have an off season, he just jumped into it in the middle of the season and he's got a backup quarterback thrown to him? No, I don't have confidence that any of them are going to be productive. If any of them, it does does have a productive day, and I'll be very happy about it. But let's let's put the shoe on the other foot. If Virginia Tech was facing an offense where there was only one receiver on the team that had ever caught a pass, and we were facing the backup quarterback who completes forty three percent of passes, I would feel like we were going to shut them out. That's yep. exactly <laughs> what I would expect of Virginia Tech's defense to do. I'm, I'm sitting here while you're talking, and I'm scanning the roster card for wide receivers, and I'm. I'm not finding them, uh, and this at this point is just throwing names out. Tink uh, Boyd's in the two deep on the official depth chart at slot. Yep, and he, he, a he, he's a walk on. Um, he, he's number- Tink's been with the team a long time, so okay, he? Uh, that's, that's he's why he's a senior. Yeah, academically. So that's why he's in front of guys like Dallin Wright and Kelly. No, no, Lawson. Dallin Wright's on an outside receiver. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, Dallin Wright's an outside receiver. Um, I guess we should have printed off the depth, depth chart. Um, but you know he was Tink Boy was listed number two at slot behind Dwayne Lofton. So there's not if Lofton can't play, does that mean Tink Lloyd's going to be playing? Your guy Tink Boy. I mean nobody listening to this podcast has ever heard of him. He's a walk-on receiver. <laughs> I mean that's that's what I've heard of him primarily because I see him all over Instagram. Do you really? Yeah. And TikTok. For what it's worth. <laughs> He's got a big TikTok presence. <laughs> does he really? Yeah. He does. What does he do over TikTok? Does he dance? I think so. Everybody All the wide receivers have a big TikTok presence. I don't know. You'll have to check it out. But huh. I would like them to have a big weight room presence. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would like to Dwight, see. Dwight, go forward. If you're work. listening, Chris <laughs> Coleman is ready for you. <laughs> That's right. Um, I was going to mention how we talked about it a little bit already, how this is really good news for Raheem Blackshear that Brock Hoffman and Luke Tenuta are playing. He has the ability to really put an exclamation point on his collegiate career before taking his talents to the NFL. So excited for that. But moving on to analyzing the Maryland defense, they really had their work cut out for them this season with a lot of the offenses that they faced in conference play. Gave up 66 to Ohio State and 59 to Michigan. Even with a lot of new pieces in the rotation for the Virginia Tech offense, this seems to be a defense that the Hokies may be able to exploit in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's a horrible defense, to be perfectly honest. It is horrible, this defense. It is horrible, this defense. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And Virginia Tech's got, we we, we forgot to explicitly mention, they've got almost their entire offensive line intact. Yeah, yeah. Lasita Smith, partly due to injury, has opted out, and mm -hmm. they're going to slide somebody over. Janzy, I think, down the guard, right? Left guard. Which Left is, guard. He's, he's been playing there because Lucita Smith has been hurt the last few weeks anyway. Okay. Right. Uh, like Lucita Smith only put like seven snaps against UVA. So that's one thing the offensive line has the offense has going for them is that the got, offensive line they've is got there. they've got their offensive line, they got their tight ends, they got their running backs. And they got a running quarterback. All right. So uh Maryland is not good against the run, they're not good against the pass. Um now you worry that they're just gonna put everybody in the box yeah you know because they're just not going to feel a threat from the tech receivers at all and that's certainly what i would do 
if I were them. Um, but, but you know, I, I do think Virginia Tech, they're going to run the ball. I mean, Tech even ran – think about it. Think about, like, back to the BC game. Like, Tech successfully ran the ball against Boston College despite not having a quarterback in the game that was a passing threat at all. And they were still able to average four and a half, five yards per carry against the Boston College team that knew where they were going to run it the whole game. Yeah. So I expect Tech to have success uh, running against Maryland. Uh, the key is – you know, you have to stay in the game early. Tech can't get down by dub- double digits and put themselves in a position where they have to throw a lot. Mm-hmm. They can't play from behind. They have to. It has to be a one-score game, or Tech needs to be winning the entire way through. Uh, and so the, the start the, is important. The other thing that's difficult when you can't pass is if if you make a mistake, mm-hmm. if you drop yeah, a snap, yeah. if you false start, if you hold, fumble, you're 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 toast on yeah. that drive you yeah. know if, if you if you spend time doing anything other than moving forward at least in small increments well, you're in big trouble. and you're right and tech is going to try to shorten the game and have few, there's going to be fewer plays in yeah. the game because all tech's going to do is run it and when there are fewer fewer plays in a game that that like that compounds your mistakes like one turnover is like two turnovers in a regular game because it, there's, you're probably going to have two fewer possessions, two or three fewer possessions, right. because just the shortness of, of the game and everything like that. So it's very, very important to play a clean game from that standpoint. Yeah. Chris, you mentioned in the preview that if there's one bright spot to a struggling Maryland offense, it's players like Jordan Mosley and Sam. I'm not going to say his last name because I don't know how to say it. I can't either. can't <laughs> help you there. Uh, let me look it up here. Sam O. Sam um, Okoya and Nonu. Yep, that's it. <laughs> sure. Um, he's <laughs> had a 97 good, defensive end. Yeah. He, yeah he's Talk had, about the impact that they have he's on had this game. A, he's probably been their only defensive uh, lineman who's been, I would classify as above average this year. He, he's a good, solid player. Uh, Mosley's been awesome at safety. Uh, uh, let's go, go back to Okoya and Nonu. Nonu. He, he's, <laughs> you don't see this very often. Defensive end, 6'2", 280. I uh, type a lot of roster cards, and I don't type that kind of thing very often, even in three. It's kind of events. kind of a strange. You know, they've got a, a position called a jack, where the guy is six four, two seventy. Yeah, I mean, they're very big up front. They're probably not a very quick defense, all in all. They've got two linebackers who, if you look at their PFF grades, are one or two of the bottom ten linebackers in the country in grades, out of all Power Five schools. I mean, just absolutely hard. We've typed that about a an opponent earlier this year. Do you remember who it was that had really bad linebackers? Uh, I can't. Georgia Tech, probably. They're pretty right. much horrible at everything. Right. Probably and, Georgia Tech. Um, but at any rate, Mosley is awesome. He's going to be one of the best safeties, maybe the best safety Tech has played all, all year, except maybe the Notre Dame guy. I forget his name. was really good. But Kyle Mo- Hamilton? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Mosley is dominant against the run and the pass. Just a very, very consistent player. So I would look for Tech to avoid him uh, as much as possible. But And the thing is, but most of the Maryland defense, though, is just bad. If Virginia Tech had all their horses, I would expect to win this game by a couple touchdowns. Yeah. But I'm just afraid they might be too limited from a personnel standpoint. Yep. All right, well, that covers one side of the ball. We're going to take a break, but first let's send it over to Nick in the fourth chair. What do you have for us today? I just got a few things. Uh, Scott Glessner, of course, is uh, loading it down. Uh, He said in the 1968 Liberty Bowl, I'm assuming, that uh, we're not going to throw the ball quite a bit. You all touched on that a lot. Uh, But Virginia Tech's fewest passing yards in the bowl game, whereas in that 1968 Liberty Bowl game versus Ole Miss. 
Really, I would have guessed uh, the the Gator Bowl against Carolina. Well, uh, when we had a safety starting at quarterback, there's only a two yards pass in that <laughs> in that 68 Liberty Bowl. Wow, so, that's <laughs> yeah. That, takes that, that, a I would no guess, gain. <laughs> that, I think, yep, I would guess that would be the record. Uh, but Virginia Tech had their most rushing yards in a bowl game that game, 330. They lost 34-17 after jumping out to a 14-0 lead in the first quarter. So you said that was against Ole Miss? Ole Miss. The Probably Miss. Archie Manning. I was going to say Archie Manning uh, was quarterback in Ole Miss. Virginia Tech is 5-9 and nine in bowl games. This is, all, of course, all Scott Glessner right here. Uh, has, when Virginia Tech has a 100-yard rusher, which is very strange. 5-9 five and, five nine and nine they have a 100-yard rusher. Okay. And they're 2-7 and seven when allowing a 100-yard rusher. So that, that one's like whatever. Yeah. Good news is Maryland probably won't have a 100 yard rusher. Yeah, they're, they're leading rusher. Uh, uh, what's his first uh, name? Uh, uh, Tayon Fleet Davis. Davis yep. He started the season with a 100-yard game against West Virginia. He ended the season with a 100-yard game against Rutgers. And in between, didn't do a whole lot. He's very, very capable back. He catches a lot of passes too. But the thing is, in Big Ten play, they were down by so many points right, right. that they weren't running it very, very much. They played um, it. Now that if they try to come out and be balanced against Virginia Tech, he's capable of rushing for a hundred yards. But we'll yeah, see if they he, actually he only do had that. 120 carries on the year. I was looking at his total yards of 664, which isn't a lot. 5.5 yards, but he averaged five and a half a carry and had nine touchdowns. And when you're getting smoked and you're down by 50 against Ohio State, you're not going to run the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he played well. Ohio State, Iowa's defense just loaded this season. Also, yeah. and Michigan, Penn State. Michigan State, yeah, you're not going to do much here. But this is a big one right here. Virginia Tech has allowed over 400 yards in six of the last seven bowl games. Six of the last seven? Yeah. Well, generally speaking, you do face better. In theory, you should face a good opponent in a bowl game. I think right. Lynn Bowen had 400 yards himself. That sounds about right. That one sticks in my three punches thrown. Did you say six of the last seven bowl games? Yeah. Which bowl game did they not Rutgers. Was it Rutgers? Uh, well, that wasn't no, it was seven 2012. Yeah. Wow. And not 2012. It's been a long time. Yeah, it was 2012. Um, but yes, Rutgers. Rutgers. Feels like it was just a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know which bowl game that would be off the top of my head. Speaking of that uh, Rutgers game, in 2012, Virginia Tech played Michigan to start the season in that bowl. Well, not the season, end of the season bowl game, but that was still in 2012. Right. It's so only two overtime bowl games Virginia Tech has been in. Same calendar year. Ha. Huh. I actually watched. Uh, I was flipping through the channels, and they had the. Uh, it's it's called the 2012 Sugar Bowl, but it was the one at the end of the 2011 season that, mm-hmm. that Tech lost to Michigan. And they they had they, it was on the Big Ten Network, and they did it where they removed all the crap from in between the plays, so the broadcast only took an hour. But it was nice. every play of the bowl game, and I discovered I had buried quite a few unpleasant memories uh, about <laughs> about that bowl game. It was. It was just as painful to watch. People remember the Danny Cole play, but there were so many plays in that game worse than that. Yeah, like like I remember when Virginia Tech didn't we block a field goal at one point and it bounced and like an offensive lineman caught it and ran for a first down. I believe the exact and the, and play, then they, was, and then they scored a touchdown. Yeah. They lined up for a field goal and they either faked it or the snap was bad. Okay, and when they threw it, it got batted up in the air and they caught it a for a first it. down. Right. A lineman, yeah. yeah, for a first, and then they scored a touchdown. Yeah, and and so Virginia Tech's very first possession, they drive down inside the five yard line. They got first and goal at the two, and that's when David Wilson pulled off the ran halfway to his own end zone. 
He ran for a 22-yard loss. <laughs> yeah. All... David Wilson was not a very good red zone running back. Right. That's um, true. You know, 1,700 yards that year, but only scored like nine or ten touchdowns. I mean, yeah. he, wasn't a, he did not have good vision or anything like that. He was just a guy who was a freak in the open field. No, the problem is there is no open field when you get down to your red line. zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me if you remember this play. Uh, you know, Tech – Got down there close, kicked a couple of field goals. Tech was dominating the game. And then Michigan comes out, and they throw a deep ball down the sideline. And you remember Eddie Whitley had a beat on it. Mm -hmm. It came running over from his safety position, went up, collided with a Virginia Tech cornerback, Mm-hmm. And the Michigan player catches the ball and runs it in for a touchdown, yeah, like a seventy-yard well, touchdown. And, and Tech had gone for it on fourth down previously because they were already up six nothing. They the went for punt? a quarterback sneak uh, with no, Logan Thomas, no. and instead of sneaking it up the middle, he tried to run around the left end. And they, got, they were inside the ten-yard line and yeah. got stopped on. Remember, no. Virginia Tech was down to their third-string kicker in that game. Yeah. Because and he kicked his, Cody, his... Cody Janelle was either suspended or kicked off the team, <laughs> and then the ba- the backup kicker rolls down there. And gets in trouble on Bourbon Street and gets the old bus ride back to Blacksburg. So tech, and that was actually two two bowl games in a row. The previous year at the Orange Bowl, he got sent back to Blacksburg for Miami because he spent so much time at Dennis Rodman's New Year's the party. Same kicker in Miami. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, same kicker. Like I don't even know if he ever actually kicked in a game. He had <laughs> he had an opportunity in the Sugar Twice. Bowl. But, <laughs> you know, uh, so I, I've like I've. Uh, Plenty of Tech players, not plenty, but Tech players in the past have gotten sent home from bowl games. Everybody knows the Keith, the Keith Short, Short story. story. Uh, I remind them of that when I see him at the gym a lot. But, uh, <laughs> Keith Keith but was Keith got sent home on the bus from the 95 Sugar Bowl. 95 Sugar Bowl, yeah. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever been sent home twice from bowl games, though, except for that kicker whose name I don't remember. And, and the, kicker, feet. The, the kicker that, that filled in made his first four field goals. Yeah, and he missed one in overtime. And then he missed one in overtime. And, yeah. yeah, Why are we talking about this game? Because uh, I watched it. Is now a highly successful realtor in the New River Valley. Who is? Cody, Cody Yes, he is. Yeah. He sure is. He's got all the radio ads on. Uh, I was very curious to see uh, – what the record was after the basketball team beat Maryland and if when football played in the same year. And there is only four years that football and basketball played in the same calendar year, and basketball won. 2008-2005, uh, football won both of those games. And then uh, the other two times were 1949-1929, and football lost both of those games to Maryland. Mm-hmm. So kind of skewed a little bit there but right. eh, i guess it was a little more recent maybe we can beat them by like 70 and then they'll fire michael oxley <laughs> and they'll get both their three coaches for three. fired in the same year <laughs> uh and then uh, i thought the biggest news coming out of the commonwealth uh, a couple days ago was big red zone target for uh uva bobby haskins is transferring to usc <laughs> USC. 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 Southern Cal. Yes, Southern Cal. Southern Cal. Yeah. With Lincoln Riley. Perhaps they can better use his receiving skills. <laughs> and I'm still trying will. to get over one of their uh, – Noah Taylor's a linebacker, right? Yeah. Yep. yeah. Noah Just Taylor. committed to UNC today. Yeah. Transferring to UNC. Yeah. I don't think players these days grasp that there are rivalries. Unless you're like it. Ohio State and Michigan or something. I watched that game or part of it over the weekend, and you had players out there ripping each other's helmets off. They hated each other. <laughs> yeah. the, this this is one of the around. oldest rivalries in college football, UNC. And, the oldest. And, the think. oldest in the South. South. Yes. South yeah. oldest UNC and UVA. And you have a UVA player going to UNC, 
Not only that, but his teammates all on social media wishing him luck. Good luck, man. If, if I was a Virginia Tech football player and one of my teammates transferred to UVA, I would take his stuff out of his locker, sling it out on, on Beamer Way, and <laughs> tell him, to, you know, good luck. Well, not good luck, but, you know, just get get, out of, get out of here. Good riddance. We don't want you. And so Taylor, Taylor's announcement that he was transferring to UNC, it was the weirdest. He's sitting there in UNC gear, and he's holding – a Jordan shoe and looking at it lovingly, and that's just bizarre. Yeah, whatever works, I guess. By the way, like now we're talking about now uh, a human being who will play football for both UVA and UNC. Does he have <laughs> a, like one more year at the end so he can just go to West Virginia and complete the trifecta? <laughs> well, I remember when uh, Bryce Watts transferred to UNC. Trey Turner immediately got on Twitter and posted a video of him in practice toasting Bryce Watts down the sideline. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. With no context, just posted that video, and I remember that got a big So, up yeah, yeah. So to put that into context, you know, Bryce Watts started at cornerback for Virginia Tech in 2018, <laughs> then went to UNC, couldn't get on the field for a bad UNC defense, which right. lets you know the lack of talent that Virginia Tech put on the field defensively in 2018. Oh, and then he went to UMass. Oh, did he end up? And really? he got benched at UMass. Oh. Yikes. One of the worst three teams in the country right. this season. Right. Yeah, he was Good. benched at UMass. So you're talking about this year. And he started wow. a corner for Tech all of 2018. Yep. Yeah. It's amazing we actually made a break. I remember seeing a, White, a, a, a Bryce Watts, air quotes, highlight where he got blocked – by uh, I don't remember who it was against, but he got blocked off the field of play, and then completely off of my television screen. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Good times. UVA fans <laughs> have to be so bitter right now. First, Virginia Tech takes two of their football commitments, and then UNC <laughs> takes Noah Taylor. Well, if you remember <laughs> last year, there there or a couple years ago, their starting long snapper, UVA starting long snapper, transferred to Tech. But the and real so Anthony, the real kicker here, he's a direct descendant of Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> really? Yes. He's as UVA as it gets. Really. He's from Florida, though. The direct descendant of Thomas Jefferson, who went to UVA, transferred to Virginia Tech. You can't make that up. That's a good story. Yeah. Is that all from you, Nick? Uh, who are the other two Big Ten teams, besides Michigan, that uh, Virginia Tech has played in the bowl game? Well, Rutgers. Rutgers, yeah. And Rutgers, besides Rutgers. Indiana. I mentioned those two. Yeah. It was Indiana in that 93 Independence Bowl. And, and, and I think. Who's uh, the other one? Uh, oh, how many? There there's more? four. We already mentioned Rutgers and, and, and Michigan. So you got Indiana. They weren't in the Big Ten at the time. There's oh, well. Um, hmm. you'll, you'll, Nebraska. Yeah, one uh, of the forgettable games. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, actually, that was a really entertaining game. First The, the Tech-Nebraska game. Yeah, it was. It was the two best strength and conditioning programs in the country. Mm-hmm. And that was a close game. It was 24-21 going into the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. and then Nebraska ran away with it. But I'll always remember that game for Tech dropping like 10 passes. And it could easily have been a Yeah, Drucker Miller game. played really well. Yeah, he but, played great. Yeah. And that's considered one of the greatest teams of all time. Well, the next year. The Nebraska program. Yeah. The that, Nebraska their 95 right team was, the in my before, opinion, yeah. the, the best team I've ever seen. Yeah. Where they beat Florida 62-24 to 24 in the national title. Mm. So yeah. it's them, the Miami team, and then uh, I guess people consider that LSU team one of the greatest too now. And the uh, last decade worth of Alabama teams. <laughs> Yikes. They are inevitable. But that's all I've got. All right. All right we're basketball gonna... stuff, but we'll get more into that. All right, we're going to take a break here on episode 217 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. 
Got it that time. And when we come back, we're going to get into the opposite side of the ball in this bowl preview, and then we'll talk some Hokies hoops. Stay with us here on episode 217 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back into episode 217 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. It's great to have you with us on set today. We have Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, Nick Brown in the fourth chair, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, and I'm your host for today, Katie Adams. As we preview Virginia Tech's bowl game, we've already talked about the Virginia Tech offense against the Terps defense, but want to get into the opposite side of the ball for both teams. The Maryland offense is led by Talia Tagovailoa, who is completing 70% of his passes, which presents a big challenge for this Hokie secondary. Yeah, um, 11 interceptions. You'd like to see a few less interceptions, of course, but overall very, very efficient passer when you're completing 68%, 3,600 yards basically. Now, you know, at the same time, when you find yourself behind by a large amount of points, as they did in most of their games this year, um, that, that'll pad your passing stats to a certain extent. But uh, on the whole, he's a, he is an explosive passer. You know, the biggest guy in the world, you know, I think only about 5'11", 200 pounds. He's listed at, yep, 5'11", yeah. 200. Got a, very, a lot of good receivers or quality of depth receiver i think i forget exactly what i put in my preview but i think it was like something like eight guys have 18 or more catches this year must be nice to have that eight many guys have 18 yeah. or more yeah man that's yeah. a lot um you know uh jarrett's our leading receiver um rakeem jarrett number five with 56 uh catches they have a tight end who's called 49 uh passes Oconqua, Oconqua. Who, who i think is a solid player i just wanted to say Say his first name for me, though. No. <laughs> um, um They actually have a lot of players on this roster. Remember the old uh, ESPN commercial where they're doing the NFL draft and, and they're coming up with all these funny names? Oh, that's a Key and Peele skit. Okay. Cartoon plurals from Virginia plural Tech. And, and the names they just came up with were outrageous. Well, there's a lot of names on this Maryland roster that fit really well in that skit. So I learned today, even though it's spelled Tago Vailoa, it's pronounced Tongo Vailoa. Mm. I looked it up in Wikipedia. That's how I know. Uh, yeah, so their passing, game, <laughs> their passing game concerns me. No Jermaine Waller, though to be fair, Jermaine Waller hasn't really yeah, been the same not, since not he got hurt well. against Pitt. Uh, you know, Mike Nizielek also reported that Breon Murray's status for this game is unknown at this point. Now, all these guys with the status of unknown, they could be hurt or it could be that they've said, yeah, I'm not playing and I'm leaving, and the coaches are just protecting them. You, you don't know mm-hmm. at this point. You have to ask the question at this point, considering the amount of attrition that's already happened. Mm. Yeah, so – So it's important that the Texas secondary hold up against those receivers. So Tunga Vailo is uh, – we, we didn't go in his stats in detail. You mentioned him, but he's 308 of 450, which is 68.4%. That's a lot of attempts in a year. Uh, 3,595 yards, 24 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions. So – Yes, he is used to throwing the football quite a bit. And uh, I don't really have anything to add other than that. Just wanted to get the stats in there. So back to you. Right. Even with the heavy pass game from Maryland, they may open up their playbook a little more, especially with the departures of Amari Barno and Jordan Williams from this mm-hmm. team, giving one of the vets on this uh, Maryland team, running back Tayon Fleet Davis, who we mentioned earlier, a good opportunity to have a day. Yeah, he's a good back, I think. Um, 5.5 yards per carry, only 664 yards. But I, I think if he had played for a team that where so many of their games hadn't been so lopsided, he would have had more carries. Uh 
you know, sort of like Stephen Peoples for Virginia Tech in 2018. I thought yeah. he could have rushed for 900, maybe a thousand yards, if Virginia Tech hadn't fallen behind in in, in so many games. Um, he's also caught 32 passes on the season, so he's he's a dangerous player on on the ground and through the air. I would expect Maryland, you know, considering the personnel losses on the defensive line for Tech and the fact that you know there's just no way Tech can run away with this game because they don't they don't have the explosive firepower on offense. I would expect Maryland to run the ball more in this game and try try to be balanced. Yeah, um, so, I certainly would if I were them. And along those lines, one of my concerns is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Virginia Tech wearing down at the end of the game. Uh, Jordan Williams has opted out. Uh, Mario Kendricks is already injured. Up. He's not, so he's play not play playing. Game, yeah. Right. So they're starting Josh Fuga and Narelle Pollard, which is great. I'm fine with that. But they're backing him up with Wilfred Panay and, and Nigel Simmons. Nigel Simmons will walk on undersized defensive tackle. Yeah, yes. Simmons is listed at uh, 6'2", 2 60, 60, I think. Yeah, yes. yeah. And he's behind. He's listed behind a guy who's 6'0", So, it, it, jumping ahead a little bit, if you look at the way I picked it, I picked it some crazy score like Maryland 38, Tech 16. 14 or 16 or something like that. And, and I didn't explain that that is Tech keeping it close but then wearing down on defense later on. Mm-hmm. And then Jalen Griffin also not playing. Is that correct? Yeah, his arm was in a sling. Yeah, that's right. He already he's, hurt his shoulder against UVA. Yeah. So that knocks down. Gosh, I think uh, Matthias Carroll's in the two deep now. He is. Been. What yeah. about Cole Nelson? Is he? Yeah, Cole Nelson he... should get a lot of reps. And I love Cole Nelson. I love right. his future. I think he's a great. He can be a great player for Tech. Right. So you got Tywan Garbett listed at at defensive end, backed up by Carroll, and at the other defensive end, you got Eli Adams, five eleven, two thirty five backed up by Cole Nelson or even C.J. McCray. So, right, mm-hmm. right. Who I've read that he is in danger of losing his red shirt if he plays this game, though. Oh, so I don't think he's then, going then, to. Then you don't play him. Yeah. Throw him a walk-on. <laughs> doesn't matter. Put, put a linebacker, a defensive end, if you have to for a game. Don't blow that guy's red shirt for a meaningless game. Yep. Add one to the red shirt tally. Yep. <laughs> Ding. Um, want to circle back around to Rakeem Jarrett's presence. I kind of remember this guy from signing day. I guess it was last year or two years ago. Uh-huh. I want to say he was committed to maybe LSU and then flipped to Maryland uh, in December. It might have been, uh, yeah. It was some big team like that. But oh, oh um, it was probably Alabama because Loxley, was, uh, the Maryland head coach, was Alabama's offensive coordinator. Right. And then went to Maryland. Ah, right. So, okay. uh, well, no, Nick is, Nick uh, is typing away. And the, so this, this I'm really, looking up. Uh, yes. Yeah, he was a top 75 recruit from wow, D.C. Wow, okay. Yep, out of D.C. So that was wow. a big uh, stay-at-home get for Maryland. Yeah, and interested to see how Chapman and Strong step up against a player like that, definitely. It was LSU. He was, it he was LSU. Yeah. Okay. Very nice case. Well, nice. <laughs> so, so one thing we haven't talked about is that uh, uh, Maryland has about two or three guys in the transfer portal, but they've had no opt-outs. Yes, I was Yeah, they haven't that. lost anybody relevant at no. all. Well, to close us out, I want to ask, what are the keys to Virginia Tech in this game and allowing J.C. Price to finish with an above 500 A two record? two-and-one record. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, obviously, you have to run it. Run. Early, often. and uh, I think they should run. Yeah. And when they're done running, run some more. Run some more. Yeah, and you have to avoid like a critical mistake um, because a turnover in this game, because there's going to be fewer possessions, it's going to be tougher to come back from. Um, obviously, the, the defense has to hold up in this game early because if like Maryland scores like on their first two drives, you're like, oh man, how are we going to keep up with that? Right. Right. Um, so you just got to play 
I don't say a perfect game because there's no such thing as a perfect game. You have to play a clean game. You can't go out there and make critical errors. It's funny. You mentioned that Nebraska bowl game earlier, and there was that same feeling of different reasons, but there was that same feeling of don't make a mistake. And you said it was 24-21, Nebraska going into the fourth quarter. And I think it was in the fourth quarter where Drucken Miller oh, yeah. pitched got, behind a running back. Got, I remember they rec- recovered a fumble for a touchdown. Yeah, and that was – it was over yeah, after yeah, that, yeah. you know, and, and, and you kind of get the same feeling like you got to hang with them. We just went over the, the issues with the defensive line and how, how they might oh, yeah. wear down. It's, it's like you're walking the tightrope and you have to stay balanced, yeah. you know, because it's going to be a disaster if you if you teeter off course. And that's uh, it's kind of how this game makes, makes me feel like I think Virginia Tech can win it. In fact, I, I, I picked Tech to win it when I wrote my preview on Sunday, and then I read that that Dwayne Lofton stuff, probably yeah. wasn't going to play, and even more guys than I thought were out. And now I'm just like, I don't see, really see, the path to victory because I mean, unless you're, it's the 2003 Miami game. At some point, you're going to have to complete a pass to win, right? I mean, you can't sit there and finish the game three of nine passing for 27 yards or something like that, and, and expect to win the football game. You, you've got to do something. Right, so let me look up. I'm, I'm pulling up our preview because I want to get these numbers exactly right. I got them. Um, you've got what? The preview the, pulled up. The Remember preview. you told them to. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> preview poll. Uh, yeah, so the I was actually going to talk about the number of seniors and things like that. So, yeah. so let me do that, and yep. then we'll go over, over the, the poll. So uh, come on, scroll. All right, so um, Maryland, and this is going off their official depth chart. They start – 10 seniors slash graduate students and they have a total of 15 listed in their depth chart most dep- most positions at the depth chart go two deep some of them go three deep so 10 starters and 15 total in the depth chart virginia tech lists zero starting seniors and graduate students um we swap in tay daily they list Keontae jenkins there's n- no way Jenkins can be considered right. a starter over Tay. So we swap in Tay Daly, so that gives them one uh, right. uh, senior in the starting lineup. And uh, let's see. And Tech has just four in their total now, depth chart. Well, now to be fair, and, and then some of them Richard Juniors, which uh, are like seniors. Well, no, it, it's it's more it's more like some teams are listing that extra year. So, so like year. Virginia Tech, like Raheem Blackshear is in his fifth year of college. So is Brock Taiwan Garbage. So is Silas yeah. Jancy. All of that. Tech is still listing him as redshirt juniors because last year didn't count. Other teams aren't doing that. Like Tech's basketball team isn't doing that. They're still listing Hunter Couture as, as a junior instead of a sophomore. And I will like say this in making up the roster card in Maryland, in, in their roster, their online roster, they didn't say eligibility class. They actually said academic class. Right. On their roster, so maybe that's in the and Notre Dame tends to do that. They list the academic level instead of I think the football the, level. They they list both in, on their actual yeah. roster page. So you're right; it does muddy the water a little bit, and maybe I'm making it sound worse than it really is. But generally speaking, though, when I look at the Tech defensive end depth chart and I see three true freshmen out of five players, yeah, and you know I, I look at the depth chart and I see freshmen at wide receivers, and now we don't even know if some of those freshmen are going to play. Yeah. Um, and your backup quarterback is a true freshman. And, yes, Maryland has the experience advantage. 
So based on what we just said, is that the difference in this game? Maryland's starting a lot of vets and seniors, guys who none of them have opted out, largely due to the fact that none of them have ever played in a bowl game. The last time <laughs> Maryland played in a bowl game was 2016, so they're probably excited to go even if it is the pinstripe bowl, but it's a bunch of vets playing against a bunch of rookies or inexperienced guys on Virginia Tech. Yeah, and you know Tech doesn't have a real natural quarterback in this game. They might have to play some walk-ons, maybe it seems like, a wide receiver. But, you know, the, the main reason is Virginia Tech had Braxton Burmeister, Amari Barno, Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson, Jordan Williams, Jermaine Waller. I would pick Tech to win by two touchdowns. I, I just – I don't think it would be – I think it would be a good game for a while, but I think Tech would clearly show their superiority by the end of it, in my opinion. Yeah, and Tech, but, is, Tech is badly compromised at three position groups, quarterback, wide receiver, and defensive line. You can generally cover up one spot maybe, yeah, but yeah. like all three, that, that's, that's tough to ask. All right, well, we're going to transition into hoops and take it from the gridiron so to So, first the of all, let's ask, how are, how are the fans voting in the preview, Nick, as far as what they think is going to happen? How many votes? Uh, there are 571 votes as of about 20 minutes ago. Um, and Virginia Tech winning by 1 to 10 points is got 227. Maryland wins by 11-plus has 186. Wow. So that a, I think so that's a lot, so a lot of people are picking Tech close, but a lot of people are also picking Tech to get yeah, blown out. Yeah, yeah. get blown out. Yeah. All right. Fascinating. All right. Thank now you. we'll transition Sorry to, to interrupt. No worries. Um, Virginia Tech took on St. Bonaventure in the Hall of Fame shootout down in Charlotte, North Carolina. This game was really fun to watch from start to finish. Virginia Tech never trailed and was really able to play a complete game. Hunter Couture and Storm Murphy, both with season highs and points. Yeah, that was an awesome game to watch. That I, was, listened, that, I listened to that on the radio. Did you really? I was traveling. Oh, that's true. That's true. But and it, was, it sounded it was, awesome. Started off 13 nothing <laughs> and. Like, I'm not saying I expected Virginia Tech to come out and stomp everybody by 40 points this year, but that was how Virginia Tech – that was how I envisioned Virginia Tech playing basketball this year. Ball movement was excellent. Um, cutting was excellent. Honestly, Tech played excellent basketball for about, I don't know, 60% of the Duke game. And I, I would say that the St. Bonaventure game and that first 60% of the Duke game was the type of team I expected at the moment Tech it was forty two to thirty four yes. Tech beating Duke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. From the very beginning and, of the bottom. And, and, and like the last five minutes of the Maryland game too, honestly. Yeah. Yep. It's all how I envision Tech playing basketball this year. Um, hasn't been there unfortunately for some of their games, but certainly it was a very entertaining game to watch. Now that being said, like Tech hit St. Bonaventure in the mouth, and St. Bonaventure just stood there. And they just, were awful. They were horrible. <laughs> they were they, and terrible. they just laid down and took it, too, man. They, yeah, they, they were did. Not, yeah, they, they did not put up a fight at They're all. They're a better basketball team than that. Yeah, they won the A-10 last year. <clears throat> and they were picked to win it this year. Right. Yeah. Um, but if you remember, the, the big concern going into that game was Storm cannot bring the ball up court against <laughs> a, even, even like token right. full court one-on-one -on -one pressure. And St. Bonaventure didn't really try that. That's not who they are. And I think you saw Tech get up, get into the offense, get in rhythm, boom, 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 and St. Bonaventure just kind of laid down. Not that it wasn't cool. It was very cool to see Tech finally get some confidence and play well, and I think that carried over into the day. It was good game. to see it happen in Charlotte, too, because there were a lot of Tech fans there. You yep, were there, Katie. Yeah, me and how, Nick how, were how, both how, there. Yeah, that's right. Um, what was it like being there? 
a lot of tech fans, I assume. Yeah, it was yeah, a lot of fun. Good. We had a lot of Let's Go Hokies chants. We had former players mm-hmm. dancing in the crowd. Saw <laughs> that. It was yeah. the Dorenzo uh, Hudson Paul and Paul Debnam. And Paul yeah. Debnam, yep. He, was, he, went, he went a dance-off with some St. Bonaventure fan. So Virginia and, Tech beat St. Bonaventure in everything. Right? Yeah. Everything. Dancing in the stands. Uh, <laughs> did Justin Mutz start a Let's Go Hokies chant? Yes. He did. I wasn't. I was like sitting really close to the floor, and then I moved. Apparently, it happened when I moved. So I never heard it, but Nick, it you probably did. It was late did. in the game. Uh, I think Jalen Haynes just got a layup or something. He's at the free throw line, and, and he started it then. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty good time. Yeah, so the game was fun. Can't say the same about their fans. Me and Nick had a pretty bitter <laughs> experience with some of the St. Bonaventure fans. So. Those rough St. Bonaventure fans. You've always heard horror stories about them. <laughs> What's that all about? <laughs> the WVU of the A-10, I guess? I got, uh, I got a lot of kind gestures thrown at me and uh, my friends. Teaching you how to count to one? <laughs> yeah. In some cases, two? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got plenty of twos. <laughs> Well, this game wasn't only complimentary of the offense, but also the Virginia Tech defense. St. Bonaventure was 18 of 53 from the floor and 6 of 23 from beyond, from beyond the arc. How much of this was St. Bonaventure just shooting really bad, and how much of it was Virginia Tech playing really great defense? I think Tech really threw them off their rhythm. Mm-hmm. I, I do think St. Bonaventure let Tech get to them, and they took some bad shots. Um, yeah. I don't think they stayed mentally tough, tough into the game to try to get deeper in the shot clock and find better shots. But at the same time, you know, you have to give Virginia Tech a lot of credit because Virginia Tech came out really for the first time this year and against a good opponent and played well from the start of the game. Like Virginia Tech, they didn't play well at the start of the game against Memphis. They didn't play well against Dayton. They didn't play well against Xavier. Yep. Uh, they didn't play well, Not well against at all Maryland, against yeah. Wake Forest. Yeah, yeah, or against Maryland. So yeah. Virginia Tech and the announcers during the game actually on ESPN, they talked about – St. Bonaventure was notorious for slow starts this year. So I guess something had to give. Right. You know, Tech hasn't been good starting games, and I guess St. Bonaventure hasn't either. And in this case, it was St. Bonaventure that gave in a big way. It's it's really remarkable, and maybe you guys watch a lot of different sports. I tend to watch football and basketball. How much confidence enters into it in basketball? When you miss a couple of shots and that basket starts getting smaller and smaller or you make a couple and you feel like you can just throw it in from anywhere, mm-hmm. what's analogous to that in another sport? like Soccer, when, scoring goals. Um, mm-hmm. or, or when a, a baseball player goes into a slump? Yeah. Something uh, like yeah, that. Like when you're, when you're hot in baseball – uh, you know, they say it could feel like you're hitting against a basketball. Like they're throwing basketballs. They say they're throwing grapefruits yeah, yeah, over the plate. Yeah. But like, uh, if it's uh, if you're in a slump, it's it's like they're throwing golf balls at you. Yeah. I just I just feel like I've seen that more in Tech basketball this year, where they don't get off to a good start and and then like that Wake Forest game. Everybody talks about Memphis and Xavier and all that. I thought the Wake Forest game was the worst example of that, where it was just bad from the get-go and say Bonaventure was the was the opposite it was great from the get-go and and people want to bottle that and make it happen every single game but that that's just not the way it works and then they came out against Duke you know and and like you said the entire first half and the first few minutes of the six I of course I missed half the first half because they were busy uh I'm a really start I mean you know, you can you can switch it over the ESPN app and everything like that if you want. Well, I've got ESPN but, News, so I can just. So switch I don't it. have ESPN News. Yeah, um, but it's annoying to like you sit down, you make your dinner, you turn on the game. It's nine o'clock, and you expect it to be on, and no, it's Arizona and, and somebody there's else. Six minutes. And I'm like, left I literally just sat down here, and now I have to get up and switch everything. Blah yeah. blah blah. Yeah, that was a great game though, Arizona Tennessee. Yeah. 
Well, after an impressive win against St. Bonaventure, I think we all hoped that Virginia Tech would carry that same confidence into Durham when they took on Duke, and they did for the first half, but Paolo Banchero had an incredible second half and really put this game out of reach for Virginia Tech. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, Tech did a great job. Over. They really had him frustrated. Yeah, in the first it's, it's, it's going to be tough for a guy like Keve Aloma to be asked to do so much offensively and defend a guy like that, yeah. a guy who's going to be a lottery pick. Aloma yeah, was number great two. in the first oh, half. Oh, yeah, I thought he was a – much more assertive offensively in this game. I think the last couple of games, he's he's been improved a lot. And, you know, teams are not double teaming him. So yeah. he's doing what he needs to do now against yeah. those teams. He's totally dominating them. And I think that helps open things up for uh, for everybody else. Uh, and Justin Mutz said after the game, words to the effect of, yeah, we lost, but the way we played in the first I don't know, 24 to 26 minutes, he's like, that's us. That's how we can play. Yeah, that, that's how they can play. Um, let's hope we get to see them play again at some point soon. <laughs> Nick, you had something? I Tech kind of jumped out to a slow start also. They fell 13 to 4, and yeah. Wendell Moore just couldn't miss. And then oh, Mike, right. Young, yeah. Mike Young did not call a timeout and just let him battle play back. Yeah. And you don't have to do that with a veteran team, in yeah. my opinion. Just so I thought that through. that was probably the best recovery this season after starting out slow. Yeah. Like David Cunningham said in his post-game article, it was kind of like a light bulb went off for Duke in the second half. Over a five-minute span, the Blue Devils went on a 13-0 and run. Meanwhile, Virginia Tech missed seven straight shots, including five three-pointers. Mm-hmm. That That'll do it. Also, 29-7 run, if you add it 29-7. Yeah, so it turned to, runs. They were leading 42-34, and then they were down 47-42 and just yeah. traded baskets for a little bit, and then another run got put on them, and that was that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Duke is, is – as hands down the best team in the ACC this year is what it seems like. Yeah, it's not close. Yeah. Well, to look at the positives, it's kind of all about when you get hot. We saw Hunter Couture and Storm Murphy get hot in that same Bonaventure game. And for this one, it really was Keve Aluma and Justin Mutz who kind of put on a show for those NBA scouts, which I'm sure mm-hmm. they're hopeful to reach there at some point. Um, but also, Naheem Aline, I want to talk about him for a second. He's oh. now struggled in three straight games with finding a bucket should he be getting less playing time? What does that situation kind of look like? Do you have his stats? Nick does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's a whopping 13 of his last 53. Four of his last 24 field goals, two of his last 15. 3.7 points per game in the last three he's all, games. He's always been streaky to a certain extent. I mean, and it wouldn't be so frustrating if you didn't know he was capable of going off. Would he have 25 or 30 in the NCAA tournament yeah, last 30, year against yeah, Florida? Yeah. yeah, he dominated that game. I mean, he's capable of going off at any point. So you worry like, okay, yeah, you could bench him and put somebody else in, but what if that was that one game where he was going to go off mm-hmm. and, you, and you miss mm-hmm. it? Um, I, you know, I mean, Maddox has played solid for Tech. Um, I don't think he's as far along within the offense. Um, you could go smaller and, and give Padula more minutes. Padula is Tech's most creative player as far as passing, dribbling, driving, all of that. Plus, he can shoot. I would be I I would be more inclined to to go smaller, and I, which I, I admit is not ideal uh, against everybody Tech's faces. I, but I would be more inclined to give him playing time if I was going to make a decision. Um, but you also think Aline, he's been a good player for Tech in the past. He had plenty of good games for Tech last year. He's going to snap out of it at some point. Right. Right. Um, but at the same time, I don't like to say this, but you remember like when Robert Brown started his career really, really well for Virginia Tech when he was a freshman 
I believe it was, it was in uh, I you know, Seth Greenberg's last year, and, and Brown looked like he was going to be a good player. And even in his sophomore year, he got off to a hot start when Tech started seven and zero or whatever, and mm-hmm. he just he went off on like Oklahoma State when when they were ranked in the top ten and Tech beat him, and then he just stopped making shots, and then he never started making them again. Until he transferred, until he transferred else. to like UAB or something like yeah. that, you know. So, and I, I don't want to say that Aline's reminded me of that, but the slump he's in kind of reminds me of when Robert Brown got mired in that slump and just could never, never manage to shoot his way out of it. I'm drawing a blank. Who's the now NBA player that missed 25 shots in a row when he played Dorian Finney Smith? Dorian Finney Smith, <laughs> man. Naheem has not reached that level. No. <laughs> Yeah, he, yeah, you're right. He missed 25 straight shots, and he was a five-star recruit. So still some concerns with this basketball program, and now you obviously throw COVID into it. I had a whole slate of questions. We were going to get into uh-huh. a UNC preview, but as of a few hours ago, that game for Wednesday night at 7 p.m. has officially been postponed to do COVID protocols within the Virginia, Virginia Tech program, which is extremely unfortunate. It was going to be a full day of sports for Tech fans on Wednesday <laughs> with the bowl game and that UNC game to follow. Yeah, and – I actually, I'm probably in the minority here, but I think that UNC game was winnable. They have not been playing great defense this mm. year, and I think Tech could have, I'm not saying they would have won the game, but I think they had an opportunity to win Well, the way they game. played at Duke it would have given them confidence sure. going into that. Sure, um, and I, I, I not not saying I would have picked Tech to win, but I think they would have had an opportunity to win. Now, the concern here is, I think, I don't know whether it's contact tracing or guys testing positive or whatever. There, there's a concern here that it's possible that the pit game might get canceled too if enough guys aren't out of protocols Protocol. or whatever by, mm-hmm. by Saturday. Then you could have two games in a row getting canceled, in which case you basically go two weeks without playing a basketball And then you game. get out of your rhythm, which you saw happen which last year. Last year, like when Tech went, went out of it for like two weeks, and then they come back at home and get smoked by George Tech. Like they hung in there, it was like a tie game at halftime, and then they're just out of gas for the second half. Yeah. And then you saw it in in the NCAA tournament too. Like they paused right before the ACC tournament, and Tech was, played really well against UNC for the first half, ran out of gas in the second half, and then lost in, in the NCAA tournament. So you saw both times when they got shut down due to COVID, they didn't play as well when they came back. So now you worry – two winnable games in a row get canceled and then you come back from that and after you've stopped playing for two weeks in a row if you go out and play somebody who has been playing you're probably going to lose that first game back Mm. just from a pure rhythm standpoint so what chris means by two winnable games in a row is he felt good about unc and Pitt is really bad Pitt's really bad saturday would have been a definite win as as definite as it gets as far as acc games go yeah now it hasn't been officially called off yet but 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 it could be like we don't know what day tech went into protocols i mean if we did then you could do the math and maybe figure it out but if it just happened yesterday it's not then looking good. You need yeah. seven scholarship players, and it doesn't matter who it is. You got to play if you have seven. So, okay. if you get seven, you play. Them's the rules. Yep, them's the rules. And okay. the ACC just changed their rules about if you have to call the game off due to COVID. It was going to be a forfeit, mm-hmm. and I guess UNC would have won the game, but they just changed it. I want to yeah, say. So I think you're right. I think they're making every effort they can uh, to uh, reschedule. They're it. not going to reschedule any of them, in my opinion. You know, you're. The, uh, they didn't reschedule any of them last year. How can you fit? The, how can you fit it in? You're already playing two games. The only away. way you can reschedule them is if some other game gets canceled and you can fit yeah. it in. Sure, so. sir. Right. So don't. Ex- I'm not expecting any reschedules. I just think it's going to be an odd schedule, and the NCAA tournament 
committee is going to have to do what they did last year and try to pick a field of 68 teams based on some teams playing this many games and some teams playing that many games, and Man. it's going to be a mess again. Well, that wraps up our hoops discussion. We hope to see Virginia Tech basketball play as soon as possible. And I would say I feel bad for any fans. Like, like let's say you're coming into that game on Saturday. You've got your hotel room booked in Blacksburg. You're coming in from Richmond or Nova or something like that. You don't even you don't know if the game's going to get played or not. That's right. right. You might not know until after you leave. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it sucks for fans. Same thing with these bowl games. I know a lot of Boston College fans, UVA fans, Miami fans traveled and bought tickets. And Probably not so many Boston College. Fans. <laughs> <laughs> or, or UVA. I don't know if they yeah. want to see their team anymore. Or right. even yeah, all of it is a complete mess. <laughs> um, as we transition into game picks, it looks like you two um, are going the same route with picking Maryland in this one, given the circumstances of the Virginia Tech offense. Will and Chris both picked Maryland. David has Virginia Tech in a close one in this one, so we'll see. It's, it's our chance who to catch pulls up. Today. It out. Right. right. I was looking at it. I or, think... or, or he's going to completely end up blowing us out. <laughs> I want to say, Chris, you've picked four wrong in a I'm row. And sure, I, <laughs> I have. Yeah. That bodes well. <laughs> as it, well, we, we were talking about it on the message boards this morning. At, collectively, as a staff, and Tech has played 10 Power Five games. And the three of us are three and seven in picking <laughs> those games. We picked, I think, uh, Syracuse. Um, no, we were wrong about UNC. We all picked yeah, UNC. Yeah, you all win. picked UNC. I'll see. I'm mad because I keep changing my mind for these games. I know. And then my original opinion turns out. So to be Virginia right. Tech is going to win this weekend <laughs> yeah, yeah. because you originally picked them, but now there you go. Maryland. Yeah, yeah. Or like I almost changed my pick to Tech for the UNC game, right? And uh, and I, I did pick. Tech against Notre Dame, but then I, I almost went back and changed it, but I didn't. That, yeah, it's, that gut feeling is yeah, going to be right. So Will has Maryland thirty-eight to sixteen. Chris has Maryland thirty-one to seventeen. David's got Virginia Tech thirty to twenty-seven. And then, like Nick said earlier, most of the fans are saying that the Hokies win it between one and ten points. And then the other half picks a blowout <laughs> loss. Yeah. <laughs> so nobody knows what's going to happen. Should be entertaining. How does David think Virginia Tech's going to score 30 points? I, I have no I idea. I wish he was here. He'd come on and say. He's in New York. Uh, well, before we close, we'll get into some of the YouTube questions. Nick, anything good in the chat today? One real, I guess, question that you all haven't answered. Uh, it's a pretty good one. I'm always interested in the Nike and the deals that are going with That's a specialty. So uh, with it uh, expiring... Nike deal, do you think uh, Virginia Tech leans to Under Armour, Adidas? I particularly really like Adidas. Um, or they stick with Nike and Whip Abcock tries to make a, make a hopefully better deal a this time. half of good, half, like a little bit better deal. So to, to fill in uh, the history there, uh, go, to, go to Google and type in Virginia Tech's Nike deal, <laughs> and the Tech Sideline article should come up first, or you can just add Tech Sideline. Virginia Tech's Nike deal, Tech Sideline. And I studied this stuff about five years ago, and among the Power 5 schools that I could find publicly available data, Virginia Tech had the fifth worst contract in terms of monetary value and equipment value. It was below us, Rutgers. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't remember who was below Tech, but they were all renewing soon. Uh. And I actually started the research again recently, and it, there, there's no question in my mind that Virginia Tech is the worst deal now in Power Five, and has, you know, once those other four schools got new deals. In terms of what's going to happen, I have no idea. No, um, it's not a thing that people are talking about. You're right; it has to get announced. Uh, I mean, it expires, I think, in June of 2022. Yeah, I got the four so, worst after that. So right at the end of this year. 
So who were the four worst? And they all expired at the latest 2018. So you had yeah. Oklahoma State right behind us, Iowa, Rutgers, and then Iowa State was last. Iowa. Iowa? Yeah. Oh, but sure. that Iowa renewed sure 2018, location. Iowa that's State renewed 2018. Yeah. yeah, so, um, you know, back when Buzz Williams coached Tech, I was like, there's nowhere they're going away from Nike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't know now. Well, he um, switched to Adidas and loves it, Texas and Yeah, yeah, stuff. yeah. That was part of the old Texas A&M's and Adidas school, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he also started doing interviews with local media once he went to Texas A&M. So he, he looks like Buzz and talks like Buzz, but he's maybe he's Buzz's evil else. twin. Yeah. He's not winning as many basketball games yet as he won here at Tech either. So I don't I, – I have no information on that. I'm actually going to study and do the spreadsheet again and, and kind of refresh that article. But, yeah, that, that's, that should be coming up in the next six months or so. Yeah, it can't possibly be any worse than the last no, deal. My no. favorite, my favorite part a, of this article a positive way to look at it. is Georgia Tech was ahead of Virginia Tech by 25000 annual value with Russell Athletic. Russell Athletic, that's 25, right. 25000 Yep. Um, and the other thing that was that was popular in uh, uh, contracts back then was the head coach getting a lot of the money. The I remember, yeah, cash. yeah. I remember that was part of Beamer's contract. Like part of his salary was directly from Nike. Yeah, and um, the the probably the most egregious deal, and I'm sorry I don't remember the exact numbers, was Under Armour when Steve Spurrier was coaching at South Carolina. Under Armour signed what looked like a fat deal with South Carolina. But a lot of the money was going to Steve Spurrier. Uh, uh, and then Spurrier retired, and the contract ran another two or three years yeah. with payments going to him. I'm I'm pretty sure that's the article I read. I remember looking up salaries of ACC basketball coaches one time, and I remember being pretty shocked when I saw Roy Williams' listed salaries was not very high. Not but very then, high. I, then I thought about it, and I'm like, I bet Nike's giving that dude a bunch of money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's something to look for, I think, in the next six months or so. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the news will be good. Yeah. Now, I know that um, Under Armour, uh, at the time I did that article five years ago, yeah. I think it was Adidas had signed this ridiculous contract with UCLA where they were paying Under Armour. Under Armour. Under yeah. Armour signed a contract with UCLA where they were paying them $17 million a year. Is 18 that it, million. That's insane. But I think that was topped when Oregon renewed its deal with, uh, with Nike. Nike. And since then, Under Armour's fallen on hard times, and they've, they're actually mm-hmm. backing out of a lot of those contracts. Well, so. and then Jordan jumped on uh, UCLA immediately after they were dropped. And that Under Armour deal was supposed to last till 2032. Wow. Yep. And yeah. Jump Man. So there's, there's, I, I, don't, I don't have a feel for the market right now. Nick, anything else from the chat? Uh, not much. Uh, Clark Rulin says that they won't switch away from Nike and... I trust that source. Clark is the man. <laughs> yep. I trust that source. Another one was, uh, would you trust moving Storm Murphy to shooting guard? You kind of touched on it. And then uh, bumping be, up Sean to point guard. Uh, it would be more like, what, who, to me the bigger question is, which, who would defend which position yeah. on the defensive end? Who would defend the two guard? Mm-hmm. Who's always going to be the biggest guard generally? Mm-hmm. That The two guard can be anywhere from 6'2 to Six six or six seven, six, depending seven, on who you're yeah, playing. Yeah. So it's it's more conducive to do that against a smaller team than it is yeah. a bigger team, theoretically. And there just aren't many that that many small teams out there. Nope. By the way, I do want to point out Storm Murphy's been hot in the last four games. Yep. Fifty five percent shooting. Yep. Ten points per game. Yep. He probably took too much flack earlier yeah. in the year. Like the offense itself wasn't playing. It wasn't wasn't playing well. Well, that was a collectively everybody's fault yeah 
All right, Chris, what's coming up on Tech Sideline for the I rest of no the week? I have no idea, Katie. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to think about it. Um, I'm glad we didn't put any work into that UNC game yet. Oh, God, Ooh, yeah. I know. I know. Hopefully uh, a wide receiver coach may be announced. I am hoping. I would actually like Rudolph to get announced. as, yes, that as well. Because I've already written the column. Yeah, oh, he's my God. Uh, uh, good I, to go. God, I was so maybe that is coming up on <laughs> expecting it to we get announced know. last week. So I actually wrote two columns in one day last week. I wrote a column about Rudolph. And it's called Brent Price signals his intent because he signaled his intent in terms of what style of offensive football he wants to play. And then later in the day, I wrote an article about a column about the strength and conditioning hire and what it meant. So I wrote two columns in one day, got to post one of them, and then the other one's just still sitting there waiting to be run. I really hope I didn't waste my time. I know. So so a couple things. First of all, uh, I was emailed a poem in case Virginia Tech hires Rudolph. Of course, it's all Rudolph the Red Nose. Christmas now. Yeah. Um, And the other thing is I I wanted to ask you when we were talking about coaching staffs, when do you see like there's going to be the announcement of the entire staff, what everybody's going to be coaching I don't know if that will include salaries at that point in time. When do you see generally, that news being finalized? Generally, the salaries in the past are, you know, leaked to like Bitter or Nisey Elect or, or somebody Teal. like that, or Teal, and they just report them on Twitter and then write an article about them. Yeah. I don't know. That, I don't know that there's ever been an article on Hokie Sports saying here, here's how much yeah, our coaches yeah, never, make. Never. Right. Um, so I'm really talking about. A, a, a an official release that says what everybody's, what everybody's what their job be coaching. Are. I would guess as soon as the last staff member gets hired, or which could be uh, the wide Tyler receivers. Bowen. Oh uh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, there's uh, that weird contract rule in the NFL, right, where he can't accept a new job until correct. the NFL season you technically is over. can't. Even though Urban right. Meyer was fired, I thought there would. Oh uh, yeah, I mean that would happen there, right? but I guess but, not. but he wasn't fired. Bowen himself was not fired. Okay. You know? yeah. So you sign your contract with the school, you know? Uh, or the organization. With the or, or, or the organization, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wish it's unfortunate that, like, he didn't get fired too. I know. Because you know, he could be <laughs> here be nice. already. But. <laughs> that sounds like an odd thing to say. <laughs> it is. It sounds like an odd thing to say. Dang, dang, he didn't yeah. get fired. <laughs> so the, the last regular season game is January 9th? Yes. It's like stupid 17-game oh, schedule. I know. Ridiculous. Yeah, that's that's like two weeks from now. All right. Well, that is going to do it on episode 217 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We dove into some of the recent coaching and player updates, previewed the pinstripe bowl between Virginia Tech and Virginia coming up on Wednesday at 2.15. Also touched on some of the recent basketball games. want to thank everybody on set today, Will Stewart, founder and general manager of TechSideline.com. You can find him at WillStewartTSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. You can find him at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. Nick Brown in the four chair today. He is at Nick Brown 33 on Twitter. As always, Malcolm Stewart doing a great job behind the scenes. I'm Katie Adams signing off on episode 217 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Enjoy the game, Hokies fans. We'll see you next week.